Nehemiah was a man that was living in captivity. His homeland was in Israel. Home city was Jerusalem, uh, where uh, his heritage was from. And he was living in captivity. And the king that was holding his people captive in this area saw one day him come in and saw that his countenance was changed, that he was not happy. And it was because someone from his homeland had come and given him a report that even though many people had gone to try to rebuild this wall and rebuild his homeland city of Jerusalem, all attempts had failed and the city was still laying in ruin. Nehemiah then asked the king, and the king grants him permission to take people, kind of crazy to think about, this is his cupbearer, someone that is serving him, taking people away out of captivity and going and rebuilding this wall that for hundreds of years had been destroyed. A king way back hundreds of years ago named King Nebuchadnezzar had been the one to destroy the wall and destroy the city. And uh, previous to him, there had been some good kings and some bad kings, but for 400 years, all of this rubble, and then in 50 plus days, the wall was restored. An incredible feat, an incredible thing that had happened. What's interesting to think about is that hundreds of years, and in just a short time, the wall was rebuilt, but that is only halfway through the book of Nehemiah. The wall is actually rebuilt in Nehemiah chapter number six, and then there's 13 chapters to the book of Nehemiah. So there's like a middle portion and then the portion that Nehemiah starts building a community within these walls. I bought a home last year and, uh, and you know like the housing market right now is just absolutely crazy. So we went in and uh, told our realtor, okay, we're willing to do this, this, this. We'll waive the inspection. We'll also give them 90 days to move out and we'll give them our firstborn. And uh, we didn't do that. But we waived the inspection. The beautiful home, it has like whitewashed brick. Oh yeah, be jealous. It was, it's an incredible house. Beautiful, nice, mature oak, maple, some type of tree that's out in the front. It's a great house. But you know what happened? When we moved into the house, there was a lot of things that the inspection probably would have caught that would have been helpful to know. It's great that the exterior looked great, but there were things on the interior that needed to be changed and needed to be fixed. Nehemiah in 52 days does an amazing feat and the exterior wall is finished. But you know what? It's so often with us as humans, we focus on the interior and then we close the book and then we don't focus on what is actually more important than the exterior, it's the interior. The interior of the home, actually, we could say are things, right? Like the HVAC, like the sub pump, all things I had to fix. What's more actually interior in our home is the people that live in the home. And so Nehemiah, who's built this wall and now is moving forward and excited and the people have rallied. They've gone through some adversity. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about Sambal and Tobiah that tried to ruin everything by despising the people and causing dissension within the ranks and that was kind of fixed. But now it's time to build a community that lasts. For hundreds of years in rubble, now things are starting to look good, but Nehemiah says the job is not done until we build the interior and the people that are on the inside 
are actually healthy. I think we can all kind of relate to this, especially if we live in Hamilton County. The exterior can look really, really good, but why is it that statistically we're one of the cities and counties that deal with anxiety and depression and mental illness more than other places? For this simple phrase, and I'm gonna have them throw, them up on this, throw it up on the screen, because communities that fall apart or a community that fails, usually it's because they remain focused on the external and not the internal. Communities that fail oftentimes fail because they remain focused on the external instead of being focused on the internal. The external is what everybody else sees. And so it's easy to focus on the external because that's where you get your reputation. That's where you get what everyone else sees when they drive through and they go, what a beautiful city, what a beautiful town, what a beautiful home, what a beautiful family, what a beautiful marriage. Instagram would be the external. And while everything looks great on Instagram, the truth of the matter is hashtag life is messy. And if we only focus on the external, the internal starts to fade away. And what had happened hundreds of years ago before a king named Josiah, eight years old, had brought the word of God and brought God back into Jerusalem. And then the next king took that all away and the people started to fight. The worship went away, the word of God went away and the community crumbled. And then 400 years later, now we see Nehemiah. When we focus only on the external and the internal world is the way, that's what a community, when I say a community, a community that lasts, a community is a group of people. It's relationship. There is no community if there's just a house. An empty house is not a community. The people living within a house is a community. The people living within a city are the community. The people within our church is the church community. When you guys go out into the city, into the community, and you are the church out there, and the building is empty, we don't have church. This isn't the church. The church are the people. The community is the people. And a community that lasts is one that focuses on the internal, not the external. I'm glad we have great buildings. I'm so thankful. Thank God for air conditioning in Hamilton Hills right now. Thank God for a parking lot. Thank God for doors. Thank God for paint. Thank God for great lights. It's all awesome, but it's just the building, the community that lasts are the people that live in the community. So Nehemiah, very smartly, very, with much wisdom, realizes it's great that we've got the wall done. The protection is there. The exterior is there. Now it's time to focus on the interior. As we go through this message, I want you, if you're watching online, to ask yourself these two questions. If you're here in person, ask yourself these as we go through this message. Number one, what is my and my family's purpose? Big question. That's like a Nostradamus question purpose. Maybe right now you're trying to think, okay, purpose, basically this, when you get up in the morning, what is it that motivates you to do what you do? Wife, as you take care of the kids, dad, as you watch the wife take care of the kids, 
Spouses as you go to work, students as you go to school, as you come home, as you eat, as you sleep, as you go on vacation, all of those things, when you are doing them, why do you do what you do? Think through each portion and part of your life. What is the motivation behind what you do? And then number two, ask yourself this question. As I pray in expectation that God works in our lives and does something in us and leaves us changed, do I need to change my purpose or be at least open to changing my purpose in my life? I'm not saying change your job, change your family, change your community. I'm saying change my purpose purpose or my motivation to do what I do. Nehemiah in chapter number eight, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll also have the verses on the screens, but he brings all of the people in. The city wall is built. Community is starting to happen and he brings all the people and he does something interesting, something that had not been done in 400 years. And I think if you look in the book of Second Kings, I can't remember what chapter right now, but you can find this story very similar to what Josiah, this eight-year-old king did over 400 years prior. He brings the people in and he says, we're going to read the word of God together. Now kind of an interesting thing to do, so maybe that was a custom. Well, there was only one copy of the word of God. It's kind of interesting to think, I know for me, I've got, especially as a pastor, I've got copies of the word of God everywhere. I've got three just for my Labrador. I've got them for like six for each person. I thought that would be funny. I heard like one person laugh. I'm not serious. My dog can't read. I have copies of the word of God everywhere. It's even if I couldn't find a hard copy of the word of God, I've got my iPad and my iPhone and I can get a hold of the words of God very easily. But at this time, especially in this generation, thousands of years before, they had only one copy of the word of God. Nehemiah and Ezra bring the people in and they start to read the word of God. And in Nehemiah chapter eight, it says this, they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people, get this, were weeping as they heard the words of the law. If you've been a Jesus follower for any amount of time, can I ask you a very sobering question? When is the last time that you read the word of God and it caused you to weep? Where reading the words were so sweet or convicting to you that it caused an emotion of either conviction or joy. Now, the people here were not weeping because of joy. They were actually weeping because of conviction, which was actually turning into a little bit of shame and guilt because they realized for hundreds of years and for generations previous and the generation that they were raising were not centered around the word of God 
point number one today. If you have a pen, I'd love for you to write this down. Very simply, a community that lasts. A community that's not focused on the external, but focused on the internal is a community that is centered around the word of God. Centered around the word of God. The word of God says that the word of the words of God are God. What we have in our Bibles is the words of God and the life. There is life in the word of God. And Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra the prophet, Nehemiah, now the governor of this great community, bring the people and they start to read the word of God. And there's conviction even turning into shame where they were starting to weep because they realized that they had not been centering their lives around the word of God. I love what Nehemiah says to them afterwards in verse number 31. He says, we will impose the, oh, no, that's the wrong, wrong one. Eight verses 10. He says this, do not grieve. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says to the people, don't grieve. Don't live in shame. This is a brand new day. Here's what I love about being a Jesus follower. We just sang the song, Amazing Grace. You know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. It means you don't deserve it. One of the, one of the phrases that really goes, oh man, don't say that. When I hear people go, man, they don't deserve grace from me. Exactly. Grace is something that people don't deserve. When you give grace, it means you're giving them something that they actually don't deserve. That means if somebody hurts you and you didn't hurt them and you give them grace, it means you're giving them something they don't deserve. God gave us grace, something that we did not deserve. And so Nehemiah says, we're not going to look in the past. We're not going to look at all of the things that we did before. We're going to use that to go, no, we will not be a community that's centered around anything but the word of God, but we are moving forward. Today, as a church, we're going to decide that we are moving forward no matter where our past has led us to, no matter what's in our past, no matter what shame we have from before, that we're not gonna listen to the lies of the enemy and the shame that he brings and we go, man, I haven't been really centered my life around the word of God. Oh man, I haven't done my devotion since COVID-19, even though I was home all by myself for a long, long time. We're not going to live in shame. We're going to make a decision to move forward from where we are to what God wants us to be. If you're thinking right now, ah, oh, man, that's not me. Can I tell you that's not from God? God does not say that the Christian life is hard. He also doesn't say it's easy. It's simple but it takes discipline. But it only takes a couple of things. We make following Jesus really hard sometimes. Part of my job as a pastor and the other pastors on staff is to get up here and preach basically the exact same thing in a different way every single Sunday. <laughs> you think it's hard. It's actually not that hard. I just got to kind of find a way to say the same exact thing in a different way. It's all about grace. It's all about the gospel. It's the good news that even though I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me. I don't deserve a relationship with him, but he gave it to me. And I'm gonna live in him. 
And then I find really creative ways, and the other pastors, we find really creative ways to say the exact same thing for you to go, man, that was really good. Jesus died for me. I've never heard that before. (laughs) Centered around the word of God. A community that lasts is not a community that's centered around growing financially, in relationship. A community that lasts is not one that is centered around anything but the word of God, which gives us the purpose of God. Number two, a community that lasts is this, is one that is generous and sacrificial. When I was doing the study through this, you know, generosity, I was going, man, I'm going to speak to our church about generosity. We have a very generous church. I'm actually so amazed at how generous our church has been at giving, even through the pandemic and giving and helping out other churches and giving to other churches and giving to people in need. One of my favorite videos is when COVID-19 happened and everything was on lockdown and our people came together, gave, and we were giving out boxes of food to people in need. Several people, even in our church community that had lost jobs that you guys gave to. I loved the video a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, of where our church gives towards our fam ministry and towards being a help. We're a very generous church and I'm thankful that I get to be a part of that type of a community. But you know, generosity, I believe for us, especially in America and shall I say even Hamilton County, generosity is not something that is really hard for us. It's not sacrificial. A community that lasts isn't just giving out of the abundance of what they have. A community that lasts is when people come together and they go, I'm going to do without to make sure that the purpose and the kingdom moves forward. A family that lasts, that sticks together, sacrifices as a family. They decide, I know this is what we want, but we're going to do without so that we can I think sometimes we we get into, can I just like tell on myself for a second? Can I just do that for just a moment? Sometimes I go, I'm gonna be sacrificial. I'm gonna go without my $8.31 coffee at Starbucks (laughs) for a whole week so that I can give to this. And we think that sometimes we're sacrificing when we don't sometimes understand what real sacrifice is. Think for a moment, for 400 plus years, the people of Israel had done without and they were coming together as a community. And so they started to go, we are not going to go back to what we were before. We are not going back to bondage. We are not going back to rubble. We will do whatever it takes as a unified body to make sure that this community thrives. Ask you again, your purpose When you get up in the morning, what is it that motivates you on? What are you willing to give and what are you willing to sacrifice for what your purpose is? In Nehemiah 10, 31, the people come together. So we got, there's only two chapters after this. This is the final, the, the, like the credits are rolling and it's showing all the people that did all of these different things in the last part of the book of Nehemiah. Look at what 
all these people that gave and sacrificed and the people come together and they kind of get this oath or this, this, this uh, 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 thing that they, they wrote down. This is what we are going to do, a commitment of what we're going to do. They get together and they say this, we will impose the following commands on ourselves. That sounds really like not fun, right? Tell you what, let's all get together. Let's impose, don't like that word, some commands, don't like that word, on all of us. And they all did it together as unified. And this was just the first one. I have some of the other ones written down, but if you read through that whole chapter, this is all that they imposed. The first thing is they said, we're gonna give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God. And then they go on and they decided they would give grain offerings. They decided to even take time for relationships within their community to get together and do things together as a community. They sacrificed and gave wood and fruit, wine, oil. And then I love this, a tithe of their first fruits. So anything that the people got in, that first thing they got in, a tenth of that went back to generous giving. Then the business owner said, we'll do that and match that. And the 10% of our business proceeds, the first proceeds that come in from our business, we're going to be generous and give those back to God as well. You want to talk about major commitment. You want to talk about, whoa, not only are they just giving all of these little things, now they're going our income. And then the businessman goes, my income plus all of my business's income. I'm going to give back. They wanted to make sure that they didn't go back to where and why and what things had been before. So first, number one, a community that lasts centers in around the word of God. And number two, they're generous and sacrificial. Nehemiah finishes it up and he says this in the last part of the oath, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. You ever neglected your house before? <laughs> it doesn't take long, does it? My wife and I, we love when we have company over. Do you know why? Because we don't neglect the house. When company comes over, guess what? You get the best. <laughs> If you could, ha could, could, could see 10 minute, no, one minute before you show up, you would see all of the like putting this together and putting that and vacuuming and making sure everything looks good. And we don't neglect the house when we know people are going to be in the house because the community, the relationship matters. I'm making fun, but at the same time, when you care about the person that's coming over your house, you do want them to feel received. You want them to feel loved. You want them to feel at home. A community that lasts does not neglect the house of God. It becomes important. I know some of you that are watching online and you're wondering, when should I come back? Can I tell you? Now. Now. As long as you can do it safely, as long as you can do it without hurting others, yes. Now is the time to not neglect the house of God. Can I ask you a really simple question to think about? Can you imagine a church that is unified in one purpose and would do whatever it takes to reach other people for Jesus? Can you imagine the person that maybe even sitting across the aisle from you that you don't know? Can you for a moment understand first that they were created by God for a purpose 
and it was the same purpose that you have to reach other people for Jesus. And could you for a moment realize that they may not be as gifted as you or maybe gifted different than you, they may be older than you, they may be younger than you, they may have a different personality than you, but it's what makes up the body of Christ and us coming together. And when you are not here, a part of the body is missing. Now, let me tell you why it's important that you come here. Not because this is the most important, but because when we come here, we learn how to be the body out there. Because a community that sticks together here will stick together out there. A community that is centered around the word of God and a community that is generous. I uh, had to go on Facebook Marketplace this week and, and get this, and I did not realize it was going to be this heavy. This is a wagon wheel. And I want to just for a moment illustrate for just a second what happens with our purpose. Because real quickly, we can get into church life and start to feel shame that we feel that our job is very important or that our family is very important. And when someone says, no, God is important, it's all important. But here's where we sometimes make the mistake. Here's family. It's a good spoke. It's an important spoke. In fact, without the spokes revolving around the wheel, which is life, you can't have a wheel. It won't work. You need family. You need relationships. You need finances. You need a job. You need all of these things that are important, biblical things. It's biblical for us to work. It's biblical for us to have relationships. It's biblical for us to focus on our family. But what ends up happening is sometimes we take this spoke, we bring it out and we go, man, what an awesome spoke. I really get fulfillment and enjoyment in my family. And we take that family spoke and we go, very important spoke, and we replace it and make it as the hub. And then our entire life revolves around family. Or it revolves around our job. Or it revolves around financial stability. Or it revolves around friendships. Or it revolves around cars houses. All very important. I don't know how I would survive without a car. Sometimes we make fun like, oh, get a bigger car. What's wrong with you? You got to have a car to live in this community. Unless you want to take this wheel and make your own wagon and have a horse draw it. All important. The problem is, is when we start to find our security and our purpose, when something that should be a spoke then becomes the hub. All of these can be thriving, successful, and important if the word of God and the house of God become the hub. Nehemiah knew something was important. He knew that in previous communities and why the community had crumbled before is because they were focused on this and this and they lost this. The wheel can, by the way, survive with a broken hub for a while. But it will fall apart. A wheel can last even longer without a spoke. It may get damaged. 
You can have God as the center and maybe at times because we're human and life is messy, the family spoke, needs a little oil, needs a little work on it. And as long as we're focusing on the word of God, we can find the answers to how this spoke should be fixed. And the wheel can get damaged without the right amount of spokes and without proper attention on the spokes, but it can last a whole lot longer and it is a whole lot easier to repair than if the hub goes out and the whole entire wheel falls apart. First thing they did was they centered around the word of God. And this is what we're gonna do today. I know that sounds very simple, but it is simple, but it's powerful. So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to believe this this morning as a church. We're gonna believe that the word of God is important. We're gonna say it until it's important and we're gonna read it until we realize how important it was and we realize we were missing out on it. I'm gonna ask all of us in here today to take a 30 day challenge. It's summertime and the kids are either just about to get out of school or they're getting close to getting out of school. Some time to hopefully take some pressure and relax. I know sometimes summers isn't that way, but it's maybe a little bit more freedom. I would suggest doing this in the morning, but I'm gonna ask you to, if you can't do it in the morning, to do it at night. Proverbs has a great number of chapters, 31, exactly almost a 30-day challenge. I'm not even gonna ask you to read the entire chapter of Proverbs as a family. I think sometimes that can be overwhelming. I'm gonna ask you to take the first five verses in each Proverbs and every day as a family, take one minute before you start your day or before you end your day and gather around the word of God. And I want you to see what God does in your family when you start centering it around the word of God and asking him for wisdom that is in the word of God. Proverbs is a great book to go through for wisdom. A great book to say, okay, as a family, here are the things we're going to believe. And I would challenge you to write down one thing as a family each day through that book of Proverbs that you are going to apply for your life for that day. Do not let the enemy right now go, that's too simple, it won't work. I'm telling you, the word of God is super powerful even in one verse. There are countries all over this world where they only have one gospel to share amongst 50 pastors. I know of stories where they take the book of Matthew and literally have one page that goes to each pastor. When they meet up again the next month, they exchange passages of pages of the Bible. Why? Because it's powerful. One chapter in the book of Proverbs for 30 days. Did you know it takes 30 days to create a good habit? It only takes one week to create a bad one. So can I tell you that it's going to be as simple as it is, it may be a little bit of an uphill climb. It may be some preparing before you go to bed that we're gonna get up 10 minutes earlier. Whatever it takes, center your family around the word of God. Number two, 30 day generosity challenge. I, I always, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. I hate talking about giving. It always feels like kind of selling. But can I tell you something? Our church, people are giving generously. We don't need your money. 
you need to give because it's going to make you a better follower of Jesus and it will give you joy that no matter what circumstance you're in, you will find freedom in the fact that your purpose isn't about giving to yourself or for uh, uh, financial gain, but actually giving out of a heart of realizing this world is one day going to pass away. And so I don't need the money and the things that are in it. It will actually help you. So here's what the challenge is. If you're not giving, I'm going to ask you to start giving $5. I just came up with that, five bucks. I feel like that's a good number because that is one Starbucks. Well, half a Starbucks drink. (laughs) And start someplace and see what God does in your life. And when he starts blessing you, and I don't mean financially, your HVAC will probably go out when you start giving. God's going to challenge you and be like, oh, you thought I was going to like give you things because you started giving. Nope, not going to happen. But what you'll find is those things aren't as important as you thought they were. And start somewhere with giving, making your heart a generous heart and a sacrificial heart that says there's something bigger. There's a better purpose and a bigger purpose than me thriving. And see what God does. And then lastly, which is point number three, being unified in purpose. We're going to ask God and we're going to pray for 30 days that God would show us what my purpose, what my family's purpose is in this world. And watch as you center it around the word of God and you give generously where God starts to open up doors to your purpose that you never thought possible. Some of you here don't know it yet. But God has a purpose for you so great, but you're limiting it because you have a really, really good, important spoke that's in the hub of your life. I love that song that said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This sermon if you're listening online too, is not a sermon of shame or guilt. It's a sermon of recentering. Because we're all prone to wander. Pastors, guys, girls, students, older people, younger people, everybody in this room, our heart naturally drifts away from God's purpose. The great thing about the grace of God is you can be way over here and today center back in. The only thing you have to defeat is the lie of the enemy because he's going to give you a million reasons not to and then he's going to make you compare to everybody else. Phrase before I quit. Go ahead and throw it up there because I can't remember it. Integrity is who you are when no one is looking. Your purpose. Integrity. Not the exterior, the interior. When no one is looking, what is your purpose? Husband, when no one's around, I'm not just talking about looking at pornography or doing something wrong. I'm talking about when no one is around, Who are you? 
Who is your purpose as a husband, as a man, as a father, as a dad? What is your purpose? What is your integrity? Because reputation is how people perceive you. America is an Instagram culture. Whether you're on Instagram or not, it's all about reputation. Reputation, good thing or a bad thing? Good thing, right? You want to have a good reputation. But when we focus only on our reputation, what ends up happening is we focus on the exterior and then the integrity goes away because when no one's looking, we don't have to worry about our reputation. But just, it may take 400 years, 100 years, 30 years, 10 years, eventually our integrity comes out. Because when the integrity of the wheel is compromised and it's not built on the word of God and not built on us being sacrificial and generous, then one of these very important spokes, I would even say, even like telling people you're a Christian. Is that our purpose? Just to tell people we're Christians? Just to look good? Put a a fish on the back of our... No. No. It's not our purpose. Our purpose is to see the kingdom of God go forward. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to say with nobody looking around, I I know my hand is going to be the first one raised, but not trying to ask you to compare or on a scale of one to 10, but very simply, how many of you say, Pastor Matt, What you said this morning spoke to me. I have made a spoke the hub. I have strayed away from my purpose and I've centered it around. This is what's important in my life. And I've added Christianity. I've added following Jesus as a spoke and not the hub. Would you pray for me? My hand's raised. It happens to me all the time, all over this room. I'll pray for you in just a moment. I understand. And I've already said it again, but today is not a day of shame. Today is a a day of moving forward. So we're going to very simply, we're going to take that 30-day challenge and we're going to see what God does in our life as we move God and his word and the house of God back to being the center. I'm excited to see what God is gonna do. Father, would you take our humble ask, us knowing that we are not anybody and that you are everything, you are the creator. And God, we say we're sorry. We wander. God, I long for the day that we are with you forever and we don't, but we do. So we come in repentance and we say, God, we're gonna make you the center. We're not gonna live in shame. We're not gonna be apologetic. We're just gonna move forward. We're gonna say, God, we are starting a new day today. We are going to read your word. We're gonna be centered around your house. We're going to give. We're going to be sacrificial. And we're gonna build a community within our families Husbands, we are going to live a life with integrity, with purpose. When things get hard, we're going to 
rest not on the spoke, but on the hub. When the family starts to go wrong, when the job starts to waver, when the financial stability starts to go, we're not gonna quickly change that spoke out for a hub, but we're gonna be leaders in our home and we're gonna say, no, we are gonna follow God. We're gonna trust God and have faith in him. God, as a father and as a husband and as a man, I know I need your strength. So God, would you fill the men in this room today? As a wife, all of the things that go into building the family and all of the weight that falls on the shoulders of these precious moms and daughters and women who hold this community as glue together. God, when the anxiety starts to creep in, when depression starts to creep in of, God, I'm not enough. God, we are going to not take that spoke of happiness and make it the hub, but God, we are going to rely on you and your word and the truth that is in your word because we know that the only lie the enemy has, the only enemy is a lie. And the only truth we have to combat the lies is through the word of God. So we are going to center around it. And then God, we in expectation need you to work in our lives. So we come together unified in our purpose as a church, not to be bigger, not to be better, not to even tell people where we go, but God, that your kingdom would move forward. God, would we keep that the center of who we are as a church community so that years from now, a legacy will remain that is centered around you, that our kids and our grandkids can look back and they don't say how much money we made or how much fun we had, but God, how much we relied on the foundation that lasts forever in your word. We're moving forward. We're not looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna sing one more song. My dad pastored a church in Maine in the uh, early 90s is when he planted it. I remember we would drive an hour to get to church. And then we'd drive an hour back. And then that was back when they had Sunday night service too. So we drive back an hour to Sunday night, drive back an hour. And then we even had Wednesday night. How many of you had that? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yeah, glad those days are over. <laughs> you know, I hear a lot of these hymns and it's been such a sweet Sunday hearing them. I know it's a little bit different. It brings me back to when I was taught at a very young age that the center of life is God. As much as I wouldn't want to go back to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we even did like Thursday night visitation and Saturday. I feel like you can sometimes overexhaust yourself and then it becomes about building the church and not building the kingdom. But the point is this, we built a heritage. My parents built a heritage where God was the center. Life revolved around his word and following Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. I've been thankful for these songs that have reminded me of that time. So would you sing this last song with us as we close?